Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Good morning. I'm Eugene Scott. I think somebody may will introduce me. Um, You'll have to excuse things. I know speakers aren't supposed to apologize for things before speaking, but I've not done camera sermons, video sermons very often, so uh, you're probably better at watching them than I am at at giving them. Uh, God changed my calling from carpenter to pastor in June of 1986, which is when I became uh, youth pastor or youth director at St. James Presbyterian Church. And God is odd because now here 30 some years later, I think 33 years later, I'm back, not as a youth pastor, although one of my students, Micah, is recording this and this is a thrill. Oh my gosh, there she is. Yeah, and so to have people here and her here and her family uh, from those days is really, really amazing. God is a God that does things that we rarely expect. So here I am. Um, thanks, Wayne and Mike and Dennis and the session for uh, calling me here to be the uh, congregational care pastor. And I hope that we uh, care together. That's going to be a good thing. And, and uh, pray through this uh, crisis that we're experiencing in our world together. And as a matter of fact, that's really part of what I'm going to talk about today is that we have this virus, this COVID thing going on, and, and uh, none of us really know how to deal with it. Even the experts, I think, are, are a little bit at, at loss, if not a lot. And yet there's probably a greater threat to us than this virus, and that is the fear pandemic that has come along with it. And fear is something that people have dealt with since the beginning of human history. But it seems today that there's something greater going on. And we're told over and over again to overcome our fear, to become fearless. Uh, Christian authors often tell us that the fear knots in scripture are, are about us becoming fearless. And yet fear multiplies instead of diminishes. The more we talk about facing fear, overcoming fear, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm going to talk in the next couple of minutes about a different way to look at fear, a different way to handle fear. And if any of you remember anything about me, you know that uh, I communicate through stories. And so I'm going to do that really through a story myself. What can we do about fear? That's a question I should have asked myself, though I was too immature and young to do it, as a ninth grader on my first backpacking trip. I was with two of my ninth grade buddies who had been backpacking before, Tim and Greg. Tim had a a huge collie dog that was with us and we had been camping for several days and uh, the fish were no longer biting. We looked up, it was a lake called Crater Lake up in the Netherlands above uh, above Netherland and we looked up this glacier at the end of the lake and there it seemed to us were footprints going into a cave. And that intrigued us as ninth graders and we wanted to figure out whether it was a bear or a human, did somebody live there? 
And so Tim and Greg decided we should climb the glacier. No, we had never ice climbed before. No, we didn't have ice spikes. No, we didn't have any equipment or experience whatsoever. The only one that had anything that could help on ice was the dog because he had huge claws and he scrambled up that glacier very easily. Tim and Greg made good time because they were bolder than I was. I stood and watched them climb for a while, really afraid. It was, it was a steep glacier. It, it was a, a steep incline and, and went up to well above 11,000 feet above the lake. And, and it came down and, and went right into the lake. And they're climbing up and carving holes in the ice with the, their boot heels. And I stood there afraid, knowing that I could climb that or part of it and die. But there was another fear that was strangely stronger than that fear of death by glacier. And that was my fear of looking like a chicken. My fear of my two friends um, rejecting me. We were pretty new buddies. I didn't have many friends at that time. And so I stood and wrestled with those fears at, at the bottom of the glacier and finally pushed down the fear of death and responded to the fear of not being liked or being uh, called a chicken and started climbing the glacier. Myself digging each step in because you couldn't just walk up it. It was, you, it was climbing. You had to to dig in with the heel of your boot, step after step after step. And they went much faster, the dog especially, and climbed way up above me. And pretty soon I was alone on the glacier. And I looked, although you're not supposed to look down, <laughs> whoever obeys that rule, looking down, I, I was way up on the glacier and saw that if I slipped, I would either slide all the way down and right into the lake and die or I could guide myself into the rocks and hit the rocks and die. But I kept climbing. Eventually I got close to the top and my friend Greg yelled down, it's not a bear, it's a human. Somebody's been up here before us. And so that was disappointing that we didn't discover something great. We had done all that work, but I was still climbing. Pretty soon I needed to traverse across the ice to get to some rocks to get up to my friends. And I started traversing and lost footing and began to slide down the ice. I turned over on my back thinking I could dig my elbows and my heels in and stop myself, but my elbows and my heels just became sled runners and I started picking up more and more speed. My friends were yelling stupid things at me like, stop, grab something, but there was nothing to grab. I looked down and again decided I could either slide into the lake or die, or maybe survive by guiding myself into some rocks. Then suddenly, right next to me, appeared the big collie. He jumped across my path. I was still going slow enough that I didn't knock him down and stopped me and then guided me back up to the top. I don't remember that dog's name. I haven't seen those friends since high school, but I will never forget being saved and rescued by a collie from my ignorance, from my stupidity of not listening to my fear at all. I 
overcame my fear and ended up going where angels even feared to tread. The lesson from that story for me was really taking a different look at my fear and what fear is really about. Fear is the loud-mouthed, uninvited, demanding intruder in life, like that, that person at a party that's always demanding attention. Stands in the middle of the room yelling, fight, run, hide. That's the fight, flight, freeze syndrome, right? But none of those things, like I said, have really worked for people very well. If you have any inkling what to really do with fear, especially as it's multiplying today. Today we're going to take a, a look at a different way to handle fear and anxiety from Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. We're going to use Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. But now, God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid, I've redeemed you. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the holy God of Israel, your savior. I paid a huge price for you, all of Egypt, with rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll round up all your scattered children, pull them in from the east and the west. I'll send orders north and south. Send them back. Return my sons from distant lands. Return my daughters from faraway places. I want them back. Every last one who bears my name, every man, woman, and child whom I created for my glory, yes, personally formed and made each one. We're not going to deal with every piece of that passage, and I would recommend when you're struggling with fear that you would go back and read it in any translation. It's a beautiful comfort. It's God's word to me and to you. We're going, only, only going to deal with a couple pieces of it and try and answer that question, what can we do with our fear and anxiety? if pushing it down, if facing it doesn't really work. The first thing that we see in this is that it's strange. We need to better understand fear. The passage says God made you, me, in the first place. And we know that God is a purposeful designer. God designed fear as a multifaceted, if annoying, warning system. Whether the fear is physical, of maybe falling off of a glacier or emotional, psychological, losing friends, disappointing people, or spiritual, not being good enough for God or not doing the right thing. Fear nonetheless is pointing its finger at something you and I need to pay attention to. There's a middle-aged woman, or was, I don't know, if she's still around with us, uh, that psychologist and scientist labeled SM by her initials. And she has put herself in position of danger over and over again, uh, getting robbed, uh, 
just so many dangerous situations because as a child, she got a disease that attacked her amygdala which, and destroyed it, which is the center for fear and caution. And so she became entirely fearless. And when we talk about the do not fears or what to do with our fear, what we're really asking for is fearlessness in that way. Imagine if someone wrote a book about hunger and said, become hungerless. As a matter of fact, that's another disease that's devastating to people. None of us would read that book because hunger is a signal that we need food. Now we may abuse that signal, we may abuse food in a, a certain way, and fear then kind of abuses us. But fear really is a gift from God telling us to pay attention to something. In my case, I should have paid attention to the fact that I was ill-prepared to climb a glacier and could have lost my life that day or endangered myself. But the other fear that I needed to pay attention to was that fear that's been with me in almost every situation of life and, and has been damaging to me in so many ways, and that's the fear of not pleasing people that made me into a people pleaser. Understanding fear as a warning, as a signal, as a gift from God, that it has a message for us, is the first step in taking a look at what we can actually do with fear. If we continue to think that it's simply an annoying uh, emotion that we can overcome or do away with, it's going to cause more damage, as did my fear of not being liked and becoming a people pleaser. So the second thing after we understand fear is to begin to pay closer attention to it. If it's pointing at something, what is it pointing to? The passage says in Isaiah, when you're in over your heads, I'll be there with you. H how do you know when you're in over your head? Fear. Fear often tells us, and that's not just again physical, it's, it's emotional, it's spiritual. My fear of losing friends overcame my fear of death from glacier. Jerry Seinfeld says that fear studies point out that more, more people are afraid of public speaking like this than death. So in essence, more people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. We need to take a look at what that's all about, that we would fear getting up in front of a camera like this more than death itself. Fear's pointing at something in that case. What is it? My lifelong struggle with people-pleasing has made me make many unwise decisions and put me in a position where I disappointed people more often than if my yes had been yes and my no had been no. When I finally understood my fear of not being liked, only then was I able to go deeper with my growth and healing in that area of my life. And so we understand that fear is a gift from God, that we can pay attention to what it's saying to us. Where is my fear coming from? What's it pointing to? What's it trying to tell me? And finally, what does God have to say 
about this particular fear. We'll get to that in my case in just a minute. Can you understand your fear as a gift from God, as a warning system? Can you begin to be courageous enough to look beyond the obvious fear into the deeper things? The next step then is that we befriend our fear. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Fear is the kind of friend that wounds us, that tells us the truth. When I was pastoring in Tulsa, we finished a service and I was out with the congregation <clears throat> and one of my friends who was a doctor came up and, and asked for prayer for his wife. They had found a lump uh, on her leg and as he talked to me as a medical ex um, expert, he went from every scenario that lump could possibly be to including his wife's death. Well, I at that time and still today had come to the conclusion that when people ask for prayer, you just do it then. You don't say, I'll pray for you later because you so often forget. And so I said, well, let's pray right now. And I prayed for the, the medical people to have compassion and wisdom. And I prayed for healing. And then the last piece of the prayer, I said, and Lord, my friend knows too much. His fear is so ramped up because what he knows this could be. I pray that you give him peace despite what he knows. He was so angry with me. I thought maybe we'd lost the friendship. Two or three days later, he called me up with the good news that his wife, as a matter of fact, was not going to die, that it was something very minor that they dealt with. And then he paused and he said, and you were right, I know too much. That's where my fear was coming from. You see, that's the kind of friend fear can be. I was a friend that wounded him. I told him the truth in a prayer about who he was and what he was worrying about. But it was good. It was beautiful. What do we do with our fear? The first thing is just be, understand it's a gift from God. Number two, pay attention to what it's telling us. Number three, draw closer. Become a friend with the fear. Don't push it away. Because when we push things away, they often become more powerful. The beach ball that we push under the water eventually wears us out and shoots out of the water. Fear not paid attention to becomes more powerful. The next step is... is maybe even a little more difficult. You see, each one of these steps is, is a deeper step into fear, not pushing it away. Name your fear. Naming isn't just familiarity, right? When we name things, there's an ownership, not as in a vehicle, but, but a closeness. So when Moses said, who shall I say sends me, send me, sends me? And God said, my name is I am. That put them in a tighter relationship, an ownership. And so when we name our fears, we truly own them. We truly can begin to work on them. And, and I don't mean giving them a surname like 
concern or worry or anxiety or, or even the first name of death or disease or failure or the dark. But there's always something deeper. Fear is smart. It can see beyond what we can see. And it's calling us to see that deep as well. I'm an extrovert. Some of you know that. I don't do well alone. And so for years, I told myself that my people pleasing was from my extroversion, that I just like people, which is true. I love to be with people. I love to party. I can't wait till we get to do it together. But really, as I dug into my fear of disappointing people, I saw a different name to it, abandonment. You see, when I was two years old, I fell down the stairs, got a cracked my skull, got a severe concussion. And back then they didn't allow parents to stay with their kids. And I remember seeing them walk out of the room and leave me crying all alone there. Then a few years later, my dad died. Friends moved. Trauma after trauma, of feeling abandoned was the deepest fear. And believe it or not, powerfully, when I came to Christ, the words that God had the preacher use were, come to God, he will be a father to you who will never leave you or forsake you. And so naming that deepest place of fear doesn't just expose it so that God can heal it, it probably pinpoints where God has been working all along because God knows that wound and God knows the enemy of our souls is going to attack that wound over and over again. And so he comes with healing balm, redemption. So I lost my father. Abandonment is how I viewed that even though he died of a heart attack. And God redeemed my father's death by calling me into the kingdom and becoming a father to me who would never leave me or forsake me. You see, those are the things that I was in over my head with, things I couldn't solve with my own strength. And isn't that the truth of the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. There is much of life we can't accomplish on our own. As a matter of fact, the most important things and God's grace comes in and fills those empty places. Fear is a gift from God, pointing out those empty places so that we can invite God into them for healing and for strength. That's the last piece to recognize that fear is pointing you to God. God tells us in this passage, when you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. Fear not, I am with you. I made you, I redeemed you, I love you. Again, this speaks directly to my fear of abandonment. And this is the gospel. Because we misunderstand fear, we misunderstand God's response to it. The 170 or so fear nots in scripture although they are written and spoken in command form in, in technical grammar language, they're not commands, they're comforts. 
They're not commands for us to become fearless any more than if one of us were to join a child who was afraid of a thunderstorm or uh, afraid of the dark and we would just come into their room and say, don't be afraid. No, we would sit down on their bed and we would say, don't be afraid. I'm with you. So God's fear knots are comforts. I am with you in every situation, the dark of night, in the battle of war, on the side of a glacier you shouldn't be on. These words are comfort to us. They're strong words spoken by a close, caring parent to a frightened child in the dark. Are we afraid of COVID? of racial unrest, of what's going to happen in November politics. God is with us. Let that fear point us to the God who has no fear, who is a creator of everything. This is the ultimate reason fear is a gift. It names when we are in over our head and need help, and then it points precisely to the only one who can and will help. God alone turns, transforms fear into faith. So Isaiah again, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I created for my glory. Yes, personally formed and made each one. Go now in the love and the peace of Jesus Christ, knowing that God is with you. And our fear is pointing to that truth every day. Can't wait to meet all of you in person. Uh, God bless and take care. St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjprez.org or email us at contact at sjprez.org.